Welcome, and thank you for tuning in to the second episode of Should We Keep This? Before we get into the episode, we wanted to make a special announcement. Gina, take it. Thanks, Stephen. So on this episode, there may be uh, some, some sounds in the background that are a bit unfortunate because we live in New York City and sounds can happen. For example, perhaps, perhaps you'll hear a man scraping uh, something off the wall. Oh, is that hard to say, Gina, because of the scraping sounds? Yeah. yeah, it's really just that sound. Yeah, today's just that sound. Yeah, so thank you for bearing with us. We did our absolute best. Back to the show. Bum, 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 bum. Gina, do you want to yeah. go first? Do you want to go first? To get rid of something? Yeah, what do you want to get rid of? I do. Okay, I want to get rid of pretzels. Okay. Wow. Stay with me. Y'all, producer Julie is eating pretzels right now, <gasps> is so she really? this I'm, is like really? burn. Oh my god. <laughs> oh, sorry. Sorry, Julie. Um, well, I'm going to s- stick by it because I no, might please. as well dig myself deeper. Well, just because, okay, here's the thing. So I was I was offered some pretzels recently uh-huh. um, and I declined, and I just made me think about them, and I feel like as a snack, they are both sort of. They don't, unless they are covered in chocolate or like filled with peanut butter or something, they kind of lack their own flavor and a little, and not, you know, they don't do much. So you mean they like hard pretzels? Much. I mean hard pretzels. I love soft pretzels. If I pass an Auntie Anne's, that's, I'm going to leave 10 pretzels deep, but like I just mean hard pretzels. Yeah. I just think they're not as, now I feel I, like we're, I don't want to say it. Well, no, it's words. okay. <laughs> like, it's, it's okay. Like, they're, she was eating pretzel thins, so mm-hmm. those are made for dipping, and if you mm-hmm. don't like dipping pretzel thins right, in, right. like, hummus or something, then yeah, you're a fool. I do like that. But again, yeah. I feel like on their own, what they don't do much. Well, like, my dad, he eats, he loves him some Snyder's. Oh. And he will just like sit watching a football game, oh, eating them, plain, plain throwing them back. And yeah, no, I, I agree that it's like they get caught yeah. in your mouth, and no, they're very plain and they're dry. Plain and dry, yeah, and dry. Yeah, they're and definitely not, like, healthy. Particular, like they're fine, right. but like not. They're healthier than the chip, but also less flavorful. You know. Right, and also not healthy. Yeah. Like right. no, none of that it's is empty. It's right, empty. it's and it's yeah. like hands down. In the variety pack of chips, yeah. they are going to be eaten second to last because mm, corn last? chips are always eaten last. Like the Fritos <laughs> corn chips, mm. they're always the last that thing that probably even gets thrown away. That's true. My grandma um, had to, her doctor told her she should eat more Fritos so that because she was having like, she didn't have enough salt in her diet, uh-huh. so they recommended Fritos. Anyway, so Not just, no, just adding like, salt like, Maybe to she healthy told food? us that so okay. that she could eat more Fritos. <laughs> she was like, my doctor said I need more sodium, so, so I'm... Fine. Here's my Fritos. Yeah. Um, what do you want to get rid of, Stephen? Okay. Um, I'm not going to let you drink that coffee. No, I'm... Put that I'm down. Bl- you have to talk. Uh, uh, I'm just trying to escape this. So, um, I was going to do something that was light and and mm-hmm. silly, mm-hmm. Um, which pretzels. was going to be pretzels. Yeah. No, like, I, I was going to get rid of cursing because as somebody oh. who likes to... Well, as somebody who likes to... Oh, Yes, you do. I do. Um, but when, when coming from the mouth of babes, mm. you hear it in a new way. And when like you walk past a middle school and they're all swearing to one another, you're like, ooh, you hear swearing as this like adult thing. And it's kind of filtered down that way because harsher films uh, you know r-rated films have harsher language and mm-hmm. and also adults police child children's language 
and they also swear so it's seen as this like adult thing but when you walk by and you hear kids swearing you're like ooh you think that you're being more like an adult but it actually makes you sound more like a child Hmm. so and when I have heard myself speaking and swearing I I don't actually think that it's that separate I don't think that I sound like an adult who is also choosing to swear. I think that actually, not like in a professionalism way, mm. in on a maturity level. This is not the thing I want to get rid of. Though. I just want to point no, that out. Wait, this is okay, not, no, I was going to bring that up. Okay. And then I was going to do like a hip. But no, I was going you to. You were going to, but you didn't. That I didn't. didn't I didn't. None I also was going that. to bring up like expectations and the way that like, having expectations about like other people's but you can do that like about people's behavior and about like Like assumptions no i think that like i literally mean like uh, expect what do i want to get rid of so we're not going to talk about that but it was it was about insecurity and about how really expect expectations of yourself and of other people really are a reflection of what you think your entitlements are that like if you're not living up to your own expectations then in a way you also are viewing yourself as entitled to the things that you aren't living up to um and really challenging the expectations that you have for yourself um is a way of challenging your entitlements and also that challenging the expectations you have for yourself um is a way of saying like don't be sitting in the present looking at what you're doing from the perspective of the future and thinking about whether or not what you're doing is going to fail. So we're not talking about that. that we're I would like to talk Stupid. about... Oh my God. I would like to talk about uh, Ariana Grande. <laughs> okay, that's related to all those things. Right, I just okay. I want to talk about... It. Because just quickly though, because this is I'm just no, saying, no 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 no. I have the, I haven't talked about anything. I think we're getting I have the mentioned a few things that I haven't talked about, but oh briefly. But I just do I just you. How do you feel about Ariana Grande? I you know I have not thought about her much to be honest. I'm okay. I'm not very connected to the music scene. Uh, I of course know some of her songs, and you know sometimes if they come on like at a wedding or something, I'll, I'm gonna dance and have some fun, but I don't think about her to be honest okay because I think that like so there is discussion is there about her this is I feel awkward but I'm going to push through you should probably do that I'm scared okay no no there's just questions because she very clearly People find discomfort in the way that she that she profits from sort of commercial female infantilization mm-hmm. and like kind of looking like a sexy baby. A baby. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, but then also is promoting. You know, she's the language that she uses and and what she says is very strong and positive and it's like I have trouble buying what you're saying if you're if the machine around your image and your career is this thing that is profiting from mm-hmm. sort of what we could probably both agree are detrimental attitudes mm-hmm. um, and so I'm wondering like do one of those two things need to go 
um, two aspects of her career, obviously detrimental attitudes towards women need to go. That's <laughs> not that's not what I'm saying. Um, Wait, uh, that's not what you want to get rid of. Yeah. I mean, I would love okay. to get rid of that, and okay. I feel like that's kind sure. of what we're doing here. But in terms of in terms of what's in our power, what aspect of Ariana Grande's career would you rather diminish? I'm assuming the infantilization part. Yeah, I would, but I don't. Yeah. So okay. I would like that to go away because I like her new album. I was like, whoa, first off, you have a new album. You literally just came out with a new album. I thought all the singles that I was hearing were from that one. And I really like it, but I feel troubled by it. Mm-hmm. And I'm not the only one. And I feel like me saying that I feel troubled by it makes people, it puts me in a position um, to be destroyed. Uh-oh. And I know that I have had discussions with uh, other people who are not people like me um, who feel the same way. Okay, cool. Well, um, I have nothing to add because I don't know enough or, about Ariana Grande. You were going to say or care. I was going to say or care. <laughs> um, I just would like to point out that mine was nice and simple. I just want to get rid of pretzels. Yours is super complicated. It, You know, oh, we have... You know, it's there are a lot of complex problems in our culture, and just because they're complex doesn't mean that we shouldn't attack them. All right. Well, on that note. On that note, <laughs> shall we get going? Yes. 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 All Let's right. do the thing we're actually supposed to be talking about. Yes. Yes. Oh, hello, hello. This is our cultural review podcast where we look at various movies, TV, music from the past fifty years and examine. Should be. Should we, should, we, should, we, should we keep this? Should we keep this? Let's find out. Mm-hmm. This week, we are reviewing 1970s top grossing film, Love Story, Aww. and 1970s Best Picture Oscar winning, Patton. Gina, what are these films? Yes, okay, well, so I just would like to, I think that the uh, one common thread, this feels to me, this is the year of the B word. Um, oh, <laughs> because oh. <laughs> that's not what you're expecting. I was not. I was um, like, what common thread? Yeah, I know. Exactly. Interesting. The, the pretty much the one. Com- well, the most obvious common thread to me was how often the B word got thrown around in both these mm. movies. Um, so, which I'm not gonna say because I don't right. really like. You're impartial on that at this point. Yeah. Um, okay, so let's start with Love Story, right. the top-grossing film. Um, stars Ali McGraw and Ryan O'Neill. And it's the classic sort of riches to rags to riches to sad story, <laughs> if you will. <laughs> yes, the classic. The classic. Um, so it begins with a spoiler at the top, which is that the uh, one, the female of this relationship is going mm-hmm. to die. Mm-hmm. Um, and so then we learn about the love story that is at the center of this movie. Um, and so here's how it is. There's this guy, Oliver, who is this very wealthy Harvard student. Um, and then there's this woman, Jenny, who is a working class music student at Radcliffe, which is the female equivalent of Harvard, essentially. Because Harvard it's didn't a- accept women or at, until, I don't know. I was trying to find out. Mm-hmm. I was looking it up and I couldn't find couldn't an answer. Find out. But it seemed that at the time... I Perhaps thought it was sort of like team. a like a neighboring liberal arts college, almost like the yeah, like the Barnard of well, Columbia. Radcliffe. I mean, Harvard um, like funded Radcliffe or something. Anyways, Stephen. Okay. Well, that makes sense because just like Barnard, like I know friends of mine who have gone to Barnard say that there is a lot of 
um, a lot of like condescension that people from Colombia mm-hmm. treat the women of Barnard like they couldn't get into Colombia, right. so they go to Barnard so they can take Colombia classes. Right, right, right. So um, um, we'll find out. But anyway, so um, they against against all odds because of their super different backgrounds, they start going out and they fall in love, Oliver and Jenny. Um, and so a lot of the beginning of the movie is like them beginning to date. Um, he plays hockey. She knows a lot about music and is really smart. Um, and essentially, after they've been going out for a while, Jenny um, reveals that she got this awesome scholarship to study music in Paris. Um, but Oliver is upset because he doesn't factor into that plan. It's like she's just going to go, and what about their relationship? And so instead, at the same in the same scene, he proposes to her, and she says yes. So she gives up her scholarship. Uh, choosing instead to marry him Mm. Um, and so then they go over to his uh, family mansion where his incredibly wealthy family lives Um, and his family essentially like rejects her because she's not good enough for their son and Oliver gets very mad about this he sort of chooses her over his family and his family cuts him off financially I know so tragic Uh, and then they get married and it's a very sweet ceremony which we'll talk about later um, where they sort of like do it themselves and write their own stuff. Uh, and then, but then sort of the next part of the, this is the, the rags part of the movie, mm-hmm. um, where, you know, they don't have the family support. And so they're struggling to get Oliver through Harvard Law School. And so Jenny is sort of supporting him. She took a job as like a private school music teacher. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's all about Oliver and his studies and getting him through school, which is really hard. And they both take on these like odd jobs and, they're really struggling um, for a while, and then he graduates super high in his class and gets a really nice job at a law firm in New York City. So they move to New York, and they become rich again because he's got this great job. So um, now we're back at the other riches part, if you will follow that trajectory. Yeah, self-made. Yeah, self-made, exactly. Um, and so, and then, uh, and one this was just one line that I felt it's important, which is that Oliver apparently wants Jenny to go to Juilliard now that they're... Rich enough, I, do, I did have. mark that as well. Um, but she wants to have a baby, mm-hmm. according to him. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so they want to have, so they're going to have a baby. They're having trouble conceiving, so they go to the doctor. And then Oliver is told by the doctor, not not Jenny, but Oliver is told by the doctor that right. Jenny has an unspecified terminal illness, mm-hmm. um, and that the best thing that Oliver can do is just sort of try to be normal to mm-hmm. support her. So he doesn't tell her, um, but then I'm later on, yeah, as am I, of course. Later on, Jenny finds out. Also, that she's going to die and nobody told her. Um, so they try to make the most of their final time together, and then Jenny dies, tragically. Um, and it ends with Oliver's dad coming to the hospital to sort of reconcile, maybe. Um, but she's already dead at that point. Um, and then there's a, a famous, a wonderful line, which, was, which Jenny said earlier in the film to Oliver, but where finally the last moment sort of ex- is Oliver telling his dad. Reprises, yes. Right, a reprise. Because the father goes, I'm sorry. And Oliver goes, love. Love means never having to say you're sorry. And the movie is essentially over mm-hmm. at that point. Um, and before we talk further about that movie, right, we're going to move on to Patton. Should I do that please, as well? Now? Please, okay. please. Just to give a quick Let's overview of them both. So Patton, a very different movie. This is a, a war movie, an epic war movie. It stars George C. Scott as the uh, World War II general, George S. Patton. There's some right. name similarity there. Um, and that's why he was cast. That's why he was cast, <laughs> right. yes. Um, so this story, this movie takes place in World War II, during World War II, um, from 1943 to, like, 45, I think, if I'm remembering the film exactly. Roughly. Ish, roughly. 
Um, and so essentially it starts with a very iconic shot that we'll get into, I'm sure, of um, George, shall, the, gener shall. the general, addressing this unseen audience of American troops um, to try and boost their morale because basically the war is, they, 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 were, they just lost a uh, humiliating defeat in North Africa. Um, and so Patton is placed in charge of that campaign. Mm. Um, and we learn through the course of him kind of coming in, taking over, trying to whip up this battalion into shape. He's a very strict disciplinarian, but he's also very sort of like spiritual. Uh, and he has this belief that he has been around for every war, great war in history, mm -hmm. um, which is interesting. Uh, and essentially he succeeds in winning this North African campaign. Um, despite his controversial leadership style, we get early on he really hates cowards. He sees anybody who's... Yeah, like men who are in any way speaking about like their fear or their vulnerability or their nerves, that's like a no-no. Um, and also at the same time, another controversial thing about him is that he seems to sort of, he's in it to get his own glory, kind of, yeah. um, definitely, uh, kind of definitely. Uh, and so then, <laughs> so then he's a part of this, this other, you know, battle, a lot of it is like battle strategy of World War II, which I, I lost some of the details on. But essentially, like he, you know, he's told to do this. Instead, he does that, uh, which ends up succeeding. But he does it in controversial ways. Um, there's an important uh, scene where he slaps this shell-shocked soldier, shell-shocked soldier, um, and despite the fact that he succeeded in this like really important campaign to take Messina in Italy, uh, he's stripped of his command and he has to apologize, which is very embarrassing for Patton because he does not believe in apology. Um, and so, but he's, you know, because of these actions, he's not really given many duties. Uh, he sort of has to beg his former uh, subordinate, who's now like the one of the leaders, mm -hmm. um, to give him a new command. Um, and he's given this, this new command and he like takes charge and wins the Battle of the Bulge, taking over like this really important key um, uh, battle place mm -hmm. uh, and then sort of like also smashes into Germany um, and but at the same time he still keep, he can't keep his mouth shut he makes some more unsavory remarks stripped of his command uh, and it sort of ends with him like walking his dog in Germany like where he's sort of put in, con in control of the, the cleanup effort but not with any sort of actual battalion command and his voiceover at the end talking about the glory with which the ancient Romans were greeted with when their heroes returned from battle, and we just see him mm -hmm. sort of like alone and walking his dog. Right. Um, so that's those two movies, essentially, in synopsis. In synopsis. So shall I jump into Please. the cultural impact that these films have left, the indelible mark? Indelible. So love story, we'll start with that. Um, the obvious uh, biggest cultural impact of this film has to be love means never having to say you're sorry. That is, that has been reprised in so many things that as I started to write it down, I was like, mm, uh, just too much. Mm -hmm. Literally, it's just too much. Um, some fun things about Ali McGraw mm -hmm. is, though she didn't star in uh, too many films, in 1972, after three films, she was ranked the top female box office star in the world. Like, wow. she was the top grossing star. And this movie was made for $2 million. 
its domestic profit was a hundred and four million. Oh my god! That was the highest level of profit that any film had ever made up until that point. Mm-hmm. Um, now the the director he would go on to make oddly. He would go on to make a number of uh, the Gene Wilder and Richard Pryor movies. So that kind of launched his career in that way. Um, the, the writer never really wrote anything else, but he did make a novelization of Love Story. Oh, after? Um, oh, I thought it was a Well, novel. no, so what, oh. what actually, so what happened was <laughs> what? he wrote the script, sold the script, and after making the movie, they were like, they decided to make it a novel. Oh. They released the novel on Valentine's Day. Oh, so cute. Yeah. Um, so they released the novel before the film. Oh, okay. Yeah. Um, That's funny. Yeah. Fun, fun fact uh, that I'll save for later. So we're going to leave an asterisk. Because um, this is an unbiased section. <laughs> um, the, the theme music. So this is a movie that maybe, with the exception of that line, we don't necessarily perceive as being really hard uh, and culturally impactful. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know why I said really hard, but no. like... <laughs> that um, biased. Really deeply uh, penetrating to the zeitgeist. Mm-hmm. Um, but the, the theme music apparently was very, like, very popular, very far-reaching in terms of like if you just wanted to... If you just wanted to say, oh, this is going to be sad, you would be like, boom, 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 boom. But yeah, this movie was uh, remade a couple more times. It it also got a sequel uh, in the late 70s. What did um, happen? Well, this dead. was called <laughs> Oliver's Story because the movie was not is about story? them and her dying. This one gets to focus more on on his life. Hmm. Um, he was not the, the right. focus now, of that. Uh, fun thing is, this is um, a cool thing. Is this also based on the the life of Al Gore? Um, while yeah, and, but Jenny is not based on uh, Al Gore's wife. Wait, Gore. Oliver, the character, the male character, is based on Al Gore. So. Interesting. The what? points of so the like plot points yeah. are based on um, Al Gore, but the deep emotional core, the part of Oliver that is very um, sensitive and uh, understanding of, of of Jenny and mm-hmm. and what her wants and needs are, is actually inspired by his roommate from Harvard, who was. Tommy Lee Jones. I was gonna say Tommy yes. Lee Jones. Yes, yeah, like baby Tommy so Lee young. is in this movie. He's so sexy. Um, and then, how does he know Al Gore? Okay, I will try. So they were they were roommates at Harvard. Oh wow. He was his roommate and at Harvard. So the writer was his roommate. Oh, that I don't is that know. what you mean? No, Tommy oh. Lee Jones was Al Gore's roommate. Oh, at and Harvard. so Al Gore, this is somebody. The writer somehow knew Al Gore and decided to write. A love story. Okay, sorry. Yes, I just am really surprised. That. Um, that. Yeah, and so like, in terms of their stardom, um, Ali McGraw took a lot, lots of breaks from acting by choice, which I thought was pretty cool. Like, if you are a huge star, not feeling beholden to 
putting out more films was cool. Now, something interesting um, and something that producer Julie would enjoy mm. um, is that Vanity Fair credited credits her as being the single most influential responsible figure for the popularity of yoga in the United States. Ali McGraw? Ali McGraw. That she is the <laughs> the one basically responsible for bringing well, yoga practice to America. Fascinating. Right? What? So what would we lose okay. if we lost this film? I mean, um, we would still get yoga. Yeah. Then um, Ryan O'Neill, he did, he never really caught on. He tried to be the male star and talking to uh, people who were around in the 70s. Like, he was a big tabloid kind of sense. Like, he would be in Us Weekly despite maybe never being a critical success. Mm-hmm. Um, so he, it did launch his career, but it wasn't, like, a good career. Um, and then... It, it is... It, it's AFI's number nine um, in, turn, in the top 100 love stories. Yeah. Well, it was um, called Love Story. So. And it was called Love Story. Oh, um, mm, and it's, oh, Harper's Bazaar calls it the number three film to watch for 70s fashion. Um, <laughs> oh my god, I love yeah, his bell bottoms. I loved oh. her outfits. Mm-hmm. And also there was one scene in particular when she's walking and I realized that like all of the set dressing was color coordinated with her outfit. Cool. Uh, I thought that was interesting. Um, so now moving on to Patton. Patton. Um, a couple things. It won six Academy Awards, uh, Best Picture, Director, Screenplay, Editing, Sound, and Art Direction. And what, you're probably about to say the thing about the actor. Oh, so that is pretty cool. That's crazy. That, and yeah. it's the, so, it the George first. C. Scott won the Oscar. Right, for Best Actor. For Best Actor, and he refused it. Yeah. And it's actually, it was the second Oscar that he won and refused. So, like, oh. he, in the early 60s, 1962, I believe, he won... And though he, like, denounced the Oscar, he still got it. Hmm. But when he won for Patton, he re- entirely rejected it because he didn't believe... He doesn't believe in the Oscars. Like, awards and what they represent. Right. Does that mean that he, like, didn't come to the ceremony and they knew? Or, I want, like, I'm just... So, would be so curious to see what uh, happened. I think that... No, actually, I did read that... Oh, so he didn't come to that ceremony, but he has been seen in future ceremonies. So people are like, well, why are you here if you mm-hmm. reject right. it? Yeah. But it is, we, I, this past Oscars, I did have the feeling of, even though Oscars are good because it drives people to see things, mm-hmm. um, it is bizarre that we take like the five best people, the ten best films that were the best films of the year, and make 80% of them in the position to feel like a loser. It is odd. It is a bit odd that we do that. Uh, But as far as Patton goes, um, this was the second film of Francis Ford Coppola, who went on to be basically the the king of 70s direction. Godfather, Godfather 2, and Apocalypse Now. He, um, as far as the actors are concerned, George C. Scott, Carl Malden, and Michael Bates Michael Bates was the um, after Patton's first assistant gets killed, mm-hmm. the other guy that Coffin? replaces him. Yeah, Coffin. he. Uh, those actors, they never really took off. Um, he didn't really have a career, Bates, but George C. Scott and Carl Malden were sort of in the twilight years, mm. should we say? Um, 
Which was interesting to me because if they were older, it means that they are they were closer to the age of the average infantryman mm-hmm. in World War II By as the average infantryman would be going to Vietnam. Yeah, exactly. um, And uh, about Vietnam, at, the t- at 1970, 55% of Americans wanted all troops out of Vietnam, right? In, when this movie came out, that dropped to 51, which... It doesn't. It, it seems small, but really, that is a st- statistically significant drop mm-hmm. in or increase in support for the war. Um, Interesting. Yeah, and then because by the late nineteen seventies, it was back up again. So like, it was. It seems to me significant that you have this very much so uh, pro America pro-war film coming up in the middle of the year and also in the middle of the year you have a peak in support for the war effort. Mm -hmm. Seems significant. Um, He's ranked number 29 on AFI's list of heroes and villains. There's two big two big moments that get dropped in other films. Um, One is the line Rommel, you magnificent bastard, I read your book. Oh, really? Yeah, that's like in a lot of stuff. And a lot of times it, they, sometimes it just appears as you magnificent bastard, which is used the reverse way of what he means because he's using it in the film saying, I read your book, I knew what you were going to do. I think it's amazing, but I also know how to counter it. Mm-hmm. And so a lot of times it's two halves the quote is separated in half, and some people say, use, I read your book, as a way of saying, I know how to best you because you've told me. Mm-hmm. And then the other being, um, you magnificent bastard, like, you've gotten ahead of me. It's in mm-hmm. Everybody Loves Raymond, it's in all kinds of stuff. Huh. And then the, the principal one, which is oddly made fun of it's almost Mm -hmm. exclusively parodied is the flag speech um it's in space jam small soldiers dexter's lab saved by the bell uh and jackass and then i think that there's a easy argument to be made that it is referenced in black Klansman as well Mm. Um, because it begins boom american flag Mm -hmm. and then it and then it fades back um so that is, let's see, oh, the Ita- interesting things, the Italian version, it didn't have the scenes with the Nazis, and... What's the, all the scenes? All the scenes the with the Nazis, it didn't portray them. Um, it, it shed 20 minutes off the film, which that maybe the nice. film wouldn't have had to have an intermission if we had <laughs> 20 like, less that minutes. That was so surprising, it just right. came up on the screen, intermission. And then also it's, um, Ron Swanson has seen three films... Bridge Over the River Kwai, Patton, and Herbie Fully Loaded. Um, yeah. I remember that episode. Right. That's awesome. Um, are we ready to say whether or not I'm we're going to keep these films? Mm-hmm. All right. On the count of three. We're going to say which ones. If which so. ones. Okay, great. We will keep. Okay, I'm ready. Three. Oh. What? I was going to go one, two, three. You were going three, three two, two, one. one. You do one, two, three. I'll do three, oh, two, great. one. Great. Let's make it even right. complicated. Ready? Three, one, two, two, one. 
Fuck these Re- movies. I would do a remake of Love Story no. directed by a woman. That's what I would uh, do. Uh, <laughs> okay. I actually am very interested in that, mm-hmm. and I want to hear um, a lot more. So, okay. yeah, please, Great. go for well, it. Also, first I'm just going to say, it's a good thing you didn't say you wanted to give up swearing, because you just... You, right, you I didn't say that. that. So I just and, wanted to point that out. Yeah, I feel very mature and professional. Great, good. Yeah. Um, well, okay, so why I say that is I think, you know... Part of it is thinking about the time, also, when mm-hmm. Love Story came out. Because, I'll, like, thinking about the, the women's liberation movement, which is also sort of, like, the backdrop of this a little bit. Mm-hmm. Um, and the, the hugest problem about this, about Love Story, is that it's entirely the man's story. You know, it's like, she, and she's actually, like, has the potential to be a super interesting character, like, in terms of her intelligence and her mm-hmm. wit and her, like, flirting it like all these things and her like dedication and right. also like their love like I really I thought it was like really beautiful like a lot of their yeah. relationship was a really like beautiful genuine love um, which was awesome and I but like the fact that so, there are so many things about I would so I what I would do is I would remake this with the woman director still set in 1970 mm-hmm. because I think there are a lot of things that we don't really realize as much about like the the ways that women were treated and you know oh I agree 100% and so it'd be really interesting to keep those but have a more clear point of view about them so like the fact that I mean the huge thing which is so skated over no pun intended because he played hockey uh, is that I didn't mean to do that okay it just came out Stephen is that she is like super passionate super smart and great at music and she gives up this huge opportunity just to marry him and stand by her man right um, and so, like, that is so just, like, it's referenced a few times in the movie, but it's... It's taken for granted taken that for she granted. should do it, as yeah. opposed to, like, you are rich. Why don't you send that money to vacation in Paris so you can see her? Right, right, exactly. Um, and then, of course, like, the other huge one of, like, well, there's many huge ones, but of, like, the doctor, the doctor doesn't oh tell her God. that she is sick. He tells her husband, which is totally a thing that I absolutely believe happened in the 70s. I mean, there's there's so many things in the 70s that are oh, like yeah. that. You know, like, it's like in Mad Men, he's portrayed as being in the waiting room the whole time during the birth of his kid. Yeah, yeah. And how, like, Mad Men do, where, like, he calls um, Betty's psychiatrist and he right. tells her everything, tells him everything she said in her sessions. Like, all these things which I feel like are crazy to think about and, like, really interesting uh, ways to, it would be great to look back on those with a point of view about like who this woman was and what it was like to be a woman in this time but that's not what the film is about in this iteration um, it really is amazing that it makes no comment on on that practice yeah yeah right and yeah and everything it's like we get to see like the husband like Oliver's response to all these things we get to see his emotional turmoil about the fact that she's dying we don't see anything from her like we don't know her inner world at all um and there's so much there to mine that i feel like it could be really it could be a great movie if it was redone that way um do you think um if it were remade that they would be the same age they would as each other wait what no not as each other i mean like that they would very young they're 25 yeah she dies at 25 25, yeah that's right which i noted was significant because something I since we know that going into the film right. I noticed that I had forgotten it when the dad is telling him to wait to get married until he's done with law school mm-hmm. because oh, yeah. he would be 
25 at the end of law school. Mm -hmm. And so that would mean that she would be dead before they could even have any life together. Hmm. Um, I don't know. I, yeah. I don't know if that was like in there. Right. Um, I don't know if that was like deliberately sewn. Right. I don't know. I yeah. feel like, yeah, but I feel like they still would be the same age because of the expectation. Like for, that's an interesting thing too of it of like, for the man, you should wait, but then the expectations for women have always been like, get married as right. soon as you can because you won't be as, you know, you won't be right. an eligible maid forever, you know. Well, he also um, wanted them to break up is the other thing. When? The dad. Oh, the dad. Yeah, yeah. yeah he was like, sure. wait, so that you don't marry right. her, so you actually. Would never <laughs> yeah. Right, right. Um, yeah. And there's some, but, and also, yeah, I think, like, there's some things, I love the scene where he's, like, opening all the doors at the music. Did you remember this part? Oh, like, man, I, I. It was so strange. How did you feel about that? Well, I didn't know what he was, I didn't, I didn't know oh, what yeah. he was looking for her. Is that right? They, like, yes, so fight. that was something that I. I know we're not on my defense, um, but no, that was something that I was like, I felt about the film wholesale was that it, it cut a lot of things that helped us piece together what was happening. Mm. Um, we never actually see him apply to law school. So mm -hmm. I was actually under the impression that he was going to reveal to his parents that he didn't actually apply mm -hmm. to enroll mm -hmm. because he's so sheepish about explaining whether or not he got in. Mm -hmm. I was about to think that he mm -hmm. didn't actually apply. Mm -hmm. um, well, I feel like he applies before the movie starts. That was my sense. I don't but, know, okay. though. That's the Cause, thing. Well, because like, his dad asked him at his first... When we first meet the dad, he asked him about his application. Mm -hmm. But anyways, yeah. No, it's true. Which is interesting that they did not feed it to us super right. easily. Like It wasn't a straightforward... Um, we didn't, couldn't connect all the dots of the plot. Also because it moves through time a lot and like I right. feel like they used a lot of um, like the elements you know like like seasons yeah. to show us that without needing to tell us like how much time has passed or what have they done in the meantime but it's like oh there's a t they're playing in the snow yeah now they're playing in the snow again you know or, which you know, I actually did think was I think a we'll talk about the dynamic of their relationship um, but I thought the 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 playing in the snow was one of the few times in which I really felt like I loved their mm -hmm. relationship, especially when they're like, um, like he falls down and they're like kind of making out, but she's also eating the snow, eating the off, snow his off his face. Oh, I loved so that because that was like yeah. that felt like something that would happen in a real relationship. Totally. Yeah. 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 But at the same time, like, we don't see her go missing. We don't right. see her graduate. And I was thinking, because mm -hmm. she does say at one point that if she wanted to make more money, then she would need to go to school to get the qualifications to be a public school teacher. Yeah. So I, it does raise the question of, did she finish college? Mm -hmm. Which I think really is a question Yeah. in terms of 1970. Right, yeah. She might not have. But we don't know. Right, and, yeah. and it doesn't show us. Oh, but I also was like, all of those music students don't raise a word when he opens the door. And <laughs> having 
you know, both of us have been to the schools where we book rehearsal space. Right. If somebody opens the door, right, You're like get high. Yeah, excuse me. We yeah. have rented the space. Like right. if you, you you should have checked the schedule or booked at the appropriate yeah. time. Well, he opens it very quickly. To be fair, you know. Right, but I would still be like, dude, what? Right. I would, I, yeah, uh, but I did think it was shot. Yeah, interestingly, it was really beautiful because it's just this long shot of like him running down this hall in the music building and like. You hear this classical music playing throughout, but then every time mm. he opens a door to a practice room, you know, like you hear like a little uh, bit of whatever instrument was being played in there, and it's like sort of you know in contrast with or complements the the music throughout. It's just yeah, right. it's very cool. Very How cool. did you feel about the depiction of their relationship? I you know, it's tough because I feel like they well okay. There's a lot of things again. This is the year of the B word, right? Um, and so there's a lot of uh, just the B word thrown around is like a joke about how about how he's like mean. Well, you know? I thought it was about how she's mean because I thought she was very one dimensionally mean. She was often, but I, that's like I feel like she uh, also like is really. I feel like there are all these layers to their relationship, and the fact that they do fight and then make up is also like a really true thing that like in a lot of I feel like. And I am a big up. fan of like mm-hmm. playful. Yeah, but there's a lot of like jabbing, like bites. Yeah, and they don't. There's never really much infusion of an undercurrent of "I really do like you." It mm-hmm. did, I felt like in the beginning, she was really sort of digging into him hard, and it also felt like it was taking for granted that we knew that they liked one another, which mm-hmm. to me is a reflection of if someone is mean to you, you should take it for granted mm-hmm. that they like you, mm-hmm. um, which is either saying, A, be in that unfair scenario, or B, it's saying that if somebody is treating you that way, it's not because they feel that way. Mm-hmm. It's because... They actually, they actually like, like you. Right, so you should forgive it, kind of. Like and I really, I did like him saying that, um, he, he confronts her at one point about it. Um, he, he says something about not wanting to just play emotional volleyball, that, like, that's not the relationship mm-hmm. that he wanted, and that at some point he's going to need to see, he, he wants to know that she cares. Mm-hmm. And then she's like, well, I do care. Mm-hmm. But I, 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 I liked that they did step away from it. Mm-hmm. But it also, it felt hollow and it also felt just like overly complimentary toward his emotional depth. Mm-hmm. I, <laughs> um, well, but another thing though, I feel like, and especially having these two movies next to each other is like, male vulnerability is like mm. a, a question of this movie you know and right. I feel like versus the other one where it's sort of like male vulnerability is bad. certainly bad yeah um, but how there are moments in here where like he ha- he is more vulnerable than she is you know um, which I appreciate in terms of like it's not something that you know we especially at the time I imagine like seeing a male mm. protagonist of a film like it's not we're not going to see him like feel emotions you want to know something terrible yes so <laughs> One of the reasons that this film was made um, is that uh, the studio mm-hmm. felt that that young people were 
tired of the dark films of the 60s and overworldly, overly worldly intellectualism like Black Studies and Women's Liberation. The kids want romance. Um, <laughs> God, really? Yeah. Um, so that's... Yeah. Yeah. I mean, because that's the... Like, thinking about it being in the backdrop of women's lib and then, like, she becomes a housewife. Mm-hmm. Um, like, is... That makes sense because it's sort of almost... It sounds like the film is trying to say, like, women, you don't have to be totally liberated from the home. Like, if right. you want to, you can still just be a mom and a, and a wife. And I did... To go back to what you had said before about her, uh, him wanting her to go to Juilliard and then him, mm, then her wanting to be a mother, it, I thought, okay, this seems to be framing him as respecting mm-hmm. her. Yeah. But it is offering as the way to respect her, being allowing her to fulfill. Right. Traditional generals. <laughs> um. Yeah. Well, and because, like, also, like, maybe that's not actually what she thinks. Like, again, if this movie, if she was the point of view character, mm-hmm. then, like, we would see maybe another person in her life besides her, him, besides her husband and her dad, first of all. And then, like, also, like, whatever that decision was is interesting. Like, I, I don't think that the, in order to be, like, potentially a feminist movie that she has to choose to reject, like, being a mom and a wife. But, like, mm-hmm. we would just get to see, like what that decision was for her and you know if like the tension of like what is she choosing to do and why she can't you know pursue her music in her mind and you know I don't know but but yeah like if but again even that scene it was like we heard it all from his mouth we didn't hear anything from her in terms of what she actually is yeah. saying um, how do you yeah. feel about do we, can we um, talk about his relationship with his dad yes because yes, I sir, felt we like can. well no I just felt like so again just like the film was edited in a way that felt like we weren't seeing so many things because we were seeing the moment after, Mm -hmm. especially when there were moments that would be her. Like her choosing to run away would is something I I'd want to see. Right, but we saw him pursuing her. Pursuing her, her right. Yeah. And so it, there were a lot of moments where I felt like, oh, in the, the director, someone approached the director and be like, oh, do you think we should have the moment where mm-hmm. she does blah, blah, blah? And he's like, well, we kind of get that from right. him chasing. So I, I just don't think, I don't think it's really necessary, yeah. you know? So I felt like there were a lot of things taken for granted, and one of those was his relationship with his dad and his feelings about his own wealth mm-hmm. because he felt like his dad treated him really poorly. Mm-hmm. But I felt like his dad... I felt like they had a stunted relationship from how they should relate to one another, but I felt like the dad was trying mm-hmm. to be there for him. Like, in the hockey game, he never referenced to the fact that he got kicked out of the game and they lost effectively because he wasn't controlling himself. Right. He never really referenced that. And yet he was supposed to be seen as this monster. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that was... I think that could... I think there are a number of instances in which we are presumed to be on Oliver's side. Mm-hmm. In which I'm like, you still need to prove this to me. Yeah. Yeah, and I feel like probably, I wonder if that's a thing of the time period too, mm-hmm. because like the sort of trope of like a distant, a father who is like emotionally distant and like wants you to be very formal, you know, um, is like 
the what I like the hippies and you know young right. people of that time are like sort of uh, rejecting. Sure. Um, and so so I think yeah you're right that we do we are meant to presume um, presume that his father is a monster, but also like I. I also wonder if like it's a little more complicated than that because like we do see like Oliver kind of is is super temperamental right. when he's around his dad and then his dad in the end like if his dad had he do, he doesn't tell his dad that Jenny is dying and and so like the moment his dad finds out he he's there for him you know he wants right. to be so I I don't know that we are meant to see him fully as a monster but I feel like maybe we are just meant to see the fact that Oliver sees him as a monster you know. Um, which could also be, but if we had more information about like, because I feel like that is probably tied to Oliver's sort of guilt and resentment about being so wealthy, you yeah. know, that it's not just about his dad. And I also feel that we, as people, were raised by the Olivers and the Jennies, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. Who were raised by the Mr. Barretts and the... Mr. Jennings. Um, Phil. Phil, right? Phil. Um, And so I know from my dad a lot of the ways that he behaves as a father is a desire to be different from the way that his father raised him. Mm -hmm. You know, the kind of hard line sort of masculinity, what a man does and that kind of thing. Um, And that men don't feel or talk about love and that kind of thing he was like I don't want my child to to be raised that way um Mm -hmm. so maybe there's something to the fact that he was seeing himself on screen and and sort of the culture of parenting for people who would be in their 20s it's kind of exactly what you're saying with Mm -hmm. the 60s and what's being rebelled against Mm -hmm. the fact that I don't relate to it could be because my father did relate to it and didn't want to be that way. Yeah, yeah, totally. Yeah. Because you had an argument with your dad about this movie, right? Or no? I did. Well, I had, my, uh, I had an argument with my dad about Patton, mm-hmm. which ironically flies in the face of what I'm saying right now because he, he loves Patton. Interesting. Um, <laughs> and he, yeah, and he actually, this is a hot take, but he's not the only person that feels this way. Um, and... He is quite liberal, um, but there are a lot of people that feel that if it weren't for Watergate that Nixon would have been on the books as one of the greatest presidents, particularly for ending Vietnam. Mm. Um, So he is a Nixon fan minus Watergate. Mm. Um, And Patton was one of Nixon's favorite films. Um, But... Let's talk... Can we talk about... um, but, But more on that later. (laughs) Um, there's just some other things that I felt like I wanted to talk about Um, like oh um, the depiction of wealth I mean I definitely felt like um, him I felt like it was taken for granted that his lack of wealth would be for a very short time um, especially since we don't see him trying to get a job and we don't see him right. ha- trying to save. We just see him being like, oh, I have to sell Christmas trees this one right, winter right. and then I'll be back on top. And right. I also started to wonder if this idea, this fear of being cut off, which I think is often 
thrown around in like older films and and then also like it's in friends and that kind of thing is this assumption is inherent in the idea of being cut off this assumption of inherited wealth is this idea and fear of being cut off inherently an upper middle class issue mm. you know because i feel like if you are poor you and your parents wouldn't be able to help you mm-hmm. in the ways in which he was able to be helped it doesn't really matter whether or not you're cut off right because effectively you can't do it so i just i thought that it i started questioning assumptions about being cut off and who has access into that issue did mm-hmm. you have did, anything did you have any thoughts well yeah no i mean i feel like it's yeah only if you are upper I guess middle class enough, but upper middle class enough would that even be a consideration usually? Right. right? Yeah, I mean, so I don't... But it seems to me to appear enough in culture Mm -hmm. that it just made me question how many people are excluded from something that is kind of a trope. Mm -hmm. Um, And how did it get to be a trope if such a large portion of of society is excluded from it? Because I think that there is a, a, like, delightful... Uh, uh, whatever the word is for like delighting in somebody else's pain mm-hmm. <laughs> of of seeing wealthy people get cut down mm. because like yeah. for people who are not wealthy then there is some sort of like satisfaction in that sure you know? um, can we uh, I do want to mention I felt that it was very weird when she was talking about the way that it kind of depicts his family's wealth like a um, she makes a weird joke about uh, his family owning slaves that was supposed mm-hmm. to be like funny mm-hmm. that I thought yeah. was not funny. Right when she meets his servant at the mansion. She, yeah, she, she's and like, she was I like, always thought you owned slaves. I was like, this is funny. I yeah. <laughs> um, and then he makes a comment about his family exploiting factory workers. Mm-hmm. And then his dad's reply was, in the 19th century. And it's like, that's not an excuse. And then he was like, then his rebuttal is this philosopher who said that reparations were necessary. And then his response was, in the 18th century. And it's like, Mm. yeah. So before you committed even greater atrocities than he knew were possible because the Industrial Revolution hadn't happened yet. I, I I thought that I, I, I just hated that. But he's not exactly the hero of the story, so he mm-hmm. can say heinous things, I guess. Yeah. Um, can we... I know that I could move on. Yeah, I'm ready to move on. But Unless we haven't actually... Left. Well, we haven't talked about the main quote love from the film. Love means never having to say you're sorry. Yeah. I love that quote. You love... I you love think that, that that's quote. true? I think... Yes, because honestly, you know, okay... I do. I mean, obviously, I don't mean, like, you can never say sorry as a casual whatever. And I don't mean it in terms of, like, if you did something shitty, then you ha- can't, you shouldn't own up to it. But, like, the, the, maybe I've been thinking about it only a lot because I feel like, as a woman, I say I'm sorry all the time. Sure. Um, and so, and, like, in my relationship, like, I don't feel that I have to say sorry and I don't, wouldn't want to say sorry because, like we are equals or whatever, you know? Um, and I don't think that they meant it in the sense of, like, if you make 
if you do something really mean to the other person, then you shouldn't own up to it. The first we thing, should inform said, the listeners the context. Okay, yeah, when it is said at the oh, because she's saying it for the fight, right? right, right because right. he, she, so he's been cut off. Yeah, they are struggling financially mm-hmm. while she is paying for him to go to Harvard. Mm-hmm. His father reaches out to reconnect an invitation to his 60th birthday. Yeah, he refuses it mm-hmm. because of his pride. Now, because of this, is entirely his story. Mm-hmm. We're supposed to think it's him, you know, refusing to bow down to his old man. But I saw it as him refusing to swallow his pride while his wife is paying thousands of dollars just to support him. Her salary was three grand a year. And yes, that's like very different mm-hmm. in terms of inflation, the cost of living, blah, blah, blah. But like it is supposed to be low. They are supposed to be taking a a bad apartment and they're supposed to be depicted as poor Mm -hmm. and he by swallowing his pride could change that and he refuses to and says no you keep working to support me I'm not going to forgive my dad and I'm not going to forgive my dad for rejecting you though also right but also, if it's that way and she's pushing him to make amends, doesn't her opinion of the situation have to do mm-hmm. with that? Um, but then she calls, despite having servants, he answers the phone, uh, <laughs> the dad does. Um, and then she and Oliver also goes, you are in charge of telling my dad. And she's like, I've never deliberately hurt anyone in my mm-hmm. life. And I'm like, you weren't deliberately insulting him this whole movie, but... I've never deliberately hurt anyone in my whole life. I don't want to do it now. And he's like, no, you bear the emotional burden of this fight that I'm having with my father. And then she tells him that they're not going to make it and then says that Oliver loves you very much. And so he grabs her, throws the phone down, and tells her to get out of his life. Mm -hmm. So then she runs away. He goes looking for her. She forgot her key, so she is stuck outside freezing in Boston winter. And then he goes to say sorry, and she says, love means never having to say you're sorry. Do you believe that she that he shouldn't have had to apologize for her? I feel like, okay, I, I feel like that is, the subtext of that is I know that you're sorry, and like, I don't know. I mean, it's complicated. I feel like it's complicated. I don't... I I want to take that quote uh-huh. and, like, apply it, continue to, like, keep it uh, as a, a thought. Sure. I don't know if the context... You're right. I don't know if the context is, is, um, is great. Because I also think... <laughs> I think that as somebody who has known people and known of people who use... The idea of breaking up with someone or divorcing someone as leverage, that is, I see that as wholly entirely wrong. Um, also, there's a, to me, if, some, if it were something that she had done that bothered him, I think I'd be more inclined to accept it. But since it's in this context of 
a world in which men are sort of seen as less responsible for their mistakes, being told that this person that is financially supporting him and this person that he has said that he was going to take on life with, to the fact that that person has said, you know, don't worry, you're not necessarily accountable. I, it felt to me like she was saying, you know, it's okay. This is, it's fine that you did that. Well, I feel like it was more, it was like the fact that it was an intense fight and he regretted it. He like clearly regretted it immediately. Obviously that doesn't absolve him. Um, but I don't know. But mm. I, yeah. There is this, now I do believe in something that it's phrased a different way, but somebody, uh, a close friend of mine said, you know, when someone tells you who you are, who they are, believe them. So I do see as this way of like, you don't need to, you know, overly apologize um, because in a way you'll never really know that someone has forgiven you. But if you love someone, A, you will forgive them. And then if you really love someone, you'll sort of, you have to trust that they will forgive you mm-hmm. because they love you. Um, but I don't, think it it felt to me overly permissive of bad behavior mm-hmm. I really really rejected mm-hmm. um, and then also when it comes back up the dad is like I'm sorry for your loss and he's like love means never having to say you're sorry I'm like this is this is just like repetitive well, I just thought sure. that was bad writing or I just thought it was bad writing he was sorry for a lot of things that's what I got from that Right. The dad was, it was not just. It just felt a little shoot. I feel like it was like, me. I'm sorry, yeah. I didn't, wasn't here for you, or whatever. I yeah, but. and then the the last two things that I thought are worth referencing that to me were pretty toxic. Um, not only does she is, not only are we watching his feelings about her being sick, which have been told to him. We learned that the doctor lied to her said that they were both fine um and that he lies to her for two weeks yeah um also the second he gets home he sees her and is sort of enraptured with his love for her and then they like have sex and i was like the what like how could you be like i'm i'm hiding from you a deep secret about your Mm -hmm. health because he loves, I'm he hard. wants the, like, I, because he doesn't want her, he like, yeah, he, I, I buy that. Yeah, I, I struggled, <laughs> um, but also I felt like uh, the, when she found out, she wasn't mad. I know. Yeah, and she wasn't mad at him or the doctor. Yeah. Why, how would you not be furious Again, about I that? feel like that's another complicated thing that they yeah. just should have spent more time on, and like, mm. I don't know what her, what the reaction would be. Um, but it would. I feel like there would certainly be stages of it, which would include anger, and then it would go to somewhere else. You know, but yeah, I I, I agree. Glossed over. Yeah, okay. I, I agree that there would be stages. Some may say five, but <laughs> I. It's an arbitrary number. I think. Yeah. yeah, I'm just pulling that out of my ass. But um, I, I we didn't see it. Yeah. We just we just didn't see it. Right. Um, yeah. We should move on to Patton. We should. You're we can move, move on, on to Patton. Patton. You've got I'm, a lot to say about Lester. I'm ready. I'm ready to go. I don't have Patton. that much to say about Patton, uh, to be totally honest. Yeah? Really? Well, <laughs> I 
Okay, Stephen is pulling out how many pages of notes is this about Patton? It's got like five papers. It's, it's four pages of notes. I had more notes on Love Story. Great. That's crazy. Um, yeah. Well, yeah, what do you... What do wait, I... You said... I found this movie very, very difficult to watch. Yes. Um, I, there were a number of moments just during the opening flag speech that I actually had to pause it, take headphones off, step away, because <laughs> I am... I am anti-war. Mm-hmm. Um, I am anti... Blind patriotism? Yeah. Shall we say, like, nationalism? Mm-hmm. Um, and also sort of um, what I'll, I'll say, we'll get into it in a minute, but like American mythology. Mm-hmm. Um, and so it, it comes out in 1970 major point of a declining war effort and he says it comes out with you know a quote that I thought was interesting uh, the, the first quote I'm like oh that's powerful but it's interesting but it didn't make me go Who? was mm-hmm. you know no bastard ever won a war for dying for his country by dying for his country what about making the poor dumb bastard die for his country mm-hmm. and I was like huh interesting that was funny but then it goes immediately into all the stuff you've heard about America not wanting to fight, wanting to stay out of the war, is a lot of horse dumb. All real Americans love the sting of battle. I was like, this is too openly addressing people who are against the war in Vietnam. Um... But this was I the point it. of, but like the movie was not, I did not read the movie as like utterly patriotic at all. I actually like thought, and, and I was really thinking about, especially throughout, but then at the end, I was like, what was I supposed to think about war after this movie? Because I honestly was really conflicted about it. And I found a quote, um, which I feel like said it really well. Oh, interesting. Um, from a review in Variety magazine from 1970. And it said, um, Uh, From a commercial standpoint, anti-militarists and pacifists, as well as those of opposing viewpoints, can be moved to peaks of emotion. Okay, forget that part. A hawk can say, what we need is more guys like that leading the country. A dove can say, see, didn't we tell you that that soldiers are professional killers? Such a dual appeal without compromise spells box office. Okay, and then there's a lot of 1970s-isms. But I felt felt so fully torn with the movie's message because... Yes, he is. He as a he is like a caricature. A lot of the movie of like this sort of total love of war, and he even says often like, "God, I love this." Well, he's like looking at a battlefield full of dead bodies, and like, mm-hmm. there's no question that there is a commentary about that in terms of like the love for war and the like blind greed of his own desire for glory. Right. Uh, and the Nazi who is the like intelligence guy who is assigned to dig up information on Patton. Mm-hmm. There's so many references throughout from his point of view about like admiration for Patton and his strategies, which I yeah. feel like is also a very clear kind of statement on like we obviously shouldn't side with the Nazis, right? That's a obvious thing. And so like if they think he's so good, then like there's question it's just a it's a more complicated like interrogation of war in all its facets. And like so there are some things about it that are very patriotic and pro-war and then a lot of it that is sort of like this is super destructive, and especially this guy's leadership is really not okay. I struggled with whether or not that was the point. I mean, I really did feel like 
the Nazis loved him. And there was this sense of like, I felt it in a sense of uh, like serial killer movies where people talk about, oh, the codependency between the detective and, and the killer. Like, oh, they need each other to survive. Yeah. And so I just, I did feel like that was in there. But this was a time, I, c- I couldn't separate myself from the time this was being released. So this is the Cold War, not the height of anti-Soviet propaganda, but not far from it either. Um, and Patton, in the film, is so anti-Russia mm-hmm. that I see... I see him as being sort of glorified in his uh, warlike aspirations and, and the, the feeling that, um, yeah, we know that they're scraping in the yeah, background. It bothers us, too. It bothers it. us, too. But hopefully <laughs> it's lighter for you guys. Um, but just ignoring the scraping. No, I, I just I felt like he was being unanimously glorified and there was lip service played to his lack of popularity. But he was a winner, right? And he killed millions of Germans. And without him, we wouldn't have uh, had... America wouldn't have been this great country that led the Allies to victory. And so it's, to me, those people are seen... to. in my opinion, framed as detractors. The same detractors who are criticizing Vietnam. And and our position on our involvement with World War II as a country, the way that we have created that narrative, to me, is etched in stone. Mm -hmm. I don't think that we are necessarily very critical of potential wrongdoing that we may have committed during our actions in World War II. Only recently have there real has there really been, as far as I'm concerned, or aware, not concerned, um, as far as I'm aware, acknowledgement of the fact that that Russia on the on the Eastern Front was wildly responsible for um, a, occupying the time of the German military and also um, weakening the, the German military and also that the dropping of the atomic bomb on Japan was done as an intimidation tactic toward the Russians. Um, there's only recently been some dialogue about that and, and very little conversation, at least that I was aware of. And it could be a thing of... The difference between how we educate people, how educate young people, and then what the dialogue is amongst uh, adults. I mean, I think that's very possible. Um, and so maybe it's always been in the air and I just wasn't aware of it because I wasn't a part of the dialogue. But to me, I've only really seen that conversation come up recently. And this was also a term, now that they have... Um, the uh, a night at the garden right that documentary about american fascists in yeah. the 30s it's very likely that this man was a fascist period and him his blind nationalism was very negative i felt like 
Um, and I just found it so repulsive. And also, there's because there's so much America First talk when Eisenhower wants him to support um, Montgomery's tactics in Sicily. Mm-hmm. The British. The British uh, general. And they're like vying for the most glory um, at the expense of enlisted men. Totally. Um, and that's, I think pretty clearly like shown as like he is sort of vilified for that in the movie I don't know I think he's vilified by the people who wouldn't let him do what he needed to do to get the job done I feel like we we are meant to empathize more with like General Bradley than we are with Patton especially that like he gives such a compelling like there's a moving the like moment where we see Bradley like tell him straight up exactly that like Mm -hmm. you want to do this because of your own glory but think about the like thousands of lives or however many lives of of men who will die for your own glory and like that is pretty explicitly like stated but then still there is the question because they don't want to make Patton just an just a villain because I think it would just be too easy to write him off like I think it's really complicated so the fight that I had with my dad that uh, has been referenced is that he is not seen that my dad does not see him as a a villain. Mm. He sees him as that, that. That this film doesn't portray him as a villain or a necessary evil, even. Mm. But that that he's a hero, and that people don't want to ad- admit it, and they like to say whatever they want to say. But he, it was there to do what needed to be done, and I just hate that. I hate what he did, and and, and I think that we can look back now as seeing it as though it's kind of creating commentary on this war hawkish nature. I don't know that it was that way at the time and it doesn't seem to be what my father took away. Mm-hmm. Uh, not that he is exemplary of what everyone took away. Right, well, and again, I feel like that's like in the that like review from the time of like the fact that I could I could totally see it being the case that, like, whatever your point of view is, you watch this movie and you take away your message, sure. you know? Sure, um, And especially, I mean, I don't know, yeah, like, the ending, too. It's like he, it ends with him not victor like, y- yes, he, like, succeeded in helping the war effort and, like, potentially helping end the war, um, but also he uh, is just sort of, walking away alone and his voiceover is this this thing of that like the contrast between the voiceover in terms of like his desire for glory and right. what he actually has is very stark you know and even and then the last part of it being you know the glory is short-lived if you get it or whatever um and i just feel like we are meant to get a sense from that of like your ideal of your like selfish reason for wanting to be in war is also is old fashioned. That's like a huge thing of the film. It's like he is. I thought he was saying that. I thought he was saying enlisted men go off to battle because when you come home, you will be glorified like the Roman soldiers. Mm -hmm. But like he wasn't, you know, like and so and and there's a thing in the very beginning in that opening speech where he talks so much about he he says I don't remember the quote, but he was like whoever said this thing about being individualistic right uh like that's a load of crap basically like we are in the army we're a team 
And then I think like it's pointedly his own hypocrisy of like he is so individualistic the whole movie, mm. you know, and that like the hypocrisy of leadership I feel like is a part of this. Um, and then also like because he is so often is referenced as like he's a man of like if he wish like if he had been around in the 1600s or the 1400s right. and like even the Nazi you know like of like he he's an old fashioned you know everybody talks about including Bradley who's like his his ally supposedly of like the times are changing and like men like you are not what the how what the world needs or like how the world is going or how the world like wants to see its leaders these days i don't know i yeah i i i struggled with that i i i also was thinking about world war 1 and how world war 1 was sort of the first instance in which um people, writers came back and people like Hemingway were talking about post-traumatic stress and talking about um, <laughs> impotence um, from war and John Green actually phrased it as um, being the first time that someone said or the power of the reference to war being the place in which men derived their manhood <laughs> taking away <laughs> the manhood of this protagonist and and so to me, a lot of the reaction to the people who actually fought in World War I um, was anti-war. But because this idea of the American savior that was created in World War II, I think that's why we as Americans don't think as much about World War I because A, it was on our soil, um, and so we don't have that sort of visceral connection. And then, which was, yeah, um, we didn't have that visceral connection. Sorry, I, I I started because I made a I made a reference to my stomach that I thought was it felt awkward, but um, we don't have a visceral connection, but also doesn't fit into creating this myth of the American military. Um, that that is how I felt, and maybe this is entirely related to an anti-war bias or military machine bias. Yeah. Um, and I'm super, I like, I'm totally, I think ideologically aligned with you. I feel like, though, that it's not an accident that it came out when it came out in the middle of a war that is so split in terms of the country's support for it. And the fact that, like, the film, I, I really do feel like doesn't, is like trying to, is showing both sides of the contradictions of it. Well, I, I, I have two, I, regardless of Coppola's intent, mm -hmm. it, it, yes, I'm being reductive in saying that it, raised support for the war but I do think it raised support for the war and then also I was curious about the windmill at first I was like because when he's walking into the distance there is windmill. a windmill um, very prominently yeah. in, the, in the frame and when I immediately think of windmills my thought goes to Don Quixote and so I was like oh is this the film saying that he's actually like a nut job? <laughs> and that is, it, it, or condemning his behavior, or thinking, looking at him as delusional. I feel bad about saying nut job. I feel like <laughs> we shouldn't keep that. I'll save that for that next phrase? time. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. Like, much like this film, uh, disrespectful toward the idea of mental illness. Sure. Um, but I, when in looking up, what windmills are actually traditionally symbols for. Mm -hmm. There's serenity, self-sufficiency, perseverance in a harsh environment, 
And in Tea Leaves, the windmill is a reference to uh, everything dies but all is reborn. So to me, the introduction of a windmill there is actually glorifying Patton's character at the end in, in this very sort of declarative final way, I felt. Yeah, I mean, it's interesting. I have no idea if that, those sort of, uh, you know, meanings were present for the filmmaker. I feel like they had to be, though. I feel like why else was so much of the frame taken up by him walking toward a windmill as opposed to him just walking towards, like, planes or walking towards ruins, even? Because if you're walking toward ruins, there's a lot of ruins, there's a lot of reference to... Uh, ancient Rome. Mm-hmm. Um, there's a lot. Yeah. Hmm. Interesting. So yeah. I felt like it had, it had to be conscious. Mm. Um, and, and yeah, that killed. I hated it. I hated yeah. everything about it. Um, also, uh, I was reading some different lists, and apparently, uh, people. It was talking about movies that veterans like because. You know, veterans love a good firefight. And who's, who's my that? experience, this is a Thought Co. compiled list of the oh, that, like, veterans most, said that? that it's like the most popular films uh, compiled by veterans. Mm-hmm. And the things that are being, the films that are being referenced are films like Platoon, films like Apocalypse Now, and films like mm-hmm. Patton, which I thought that, that the Thought Co. list was saying that it was because veterans enjoy the firefight. Well, those films are also very critical of the idea of war and very critical of the of the effect that it has on soldiers. Mm-hmm. And so I don't see I feel like people who are not veterans probably like the war aspect of war films way more than than actual veterans do. Mm-hmm. Um and so I see for people who weren't fighting that this rallied a lot of support for the war and then perhaps people who did fight were probably identifying with the nameless infantrymen that mm-hmm. were used as pawns for his own glory. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and, you know, arguing with my dad, like, he did, disobeys direct orders. And I'm like, if I lost my arm and, and an eye and, and a foot because my commander disobeyed orders but won a battle would you think of me but think well he got the job done Mm. would you really think that way and and, I mean we kind of agreed to disagree at that point yeah you have to yeah but uh, yeah I was very much yeah, and I also, because I did not want to keep this movie, um, but mostly because, for I feel like, slightly different reasons, or it's sort of the same, but I, I just, especially thinking now, in terms of like how many war movies exist, mm-hmm. and that this movie, I feel like, just does not do enough to condemn war, or at least to show us like the real reality of war, right. um, especially from the point of view of the people who are actually doing the dying um, and the fighting, so, and also that it's so freaking long it's so unnecessarily long it, for the listeners who haven't it's seen the film this film three as hours. we have alluded is three hours and has an intermission it has an intermission yeah and I was about to start watching it last night at like 10 o'clock at night so I'm especially mad that it's so long <laughs> um, now 
we didn't talk uh, explicitly about uh, people of color in Love Story because there is only one person of color um, in there are all of Love Story. I only noticed the yes. one violinist. There's also some of the, the children when she's teaching her uh, class or the thing. True. I guess I was thinking uh, African American, and I, and I didn't know there were a, a few because that one audacious mm-hmm. singer is presumably a, a boy of color. Yeah, yeah. and, and I, there was also I think an African American boy and mm-hmm. also in that chorus and yeah. Um, so I feel like there were some background people. But um, but background. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah, it's not of any substance. No, yeah, of course. At least they exist a little bit sure. compared to, for example, Midnight Cowboy. Right. You know. At least they exist outside of service positions. Mm-hmm. We have. They're all pursuing, uh, culture basically. Yeah. You know the fact that he is. She's a very good pianist, mm-hmm. so he's presumably a very good violinist. Totally. Um, Patton, and, however. Yeah. There's one character who is, has a speaking role, who's a person of color. Yes. And that's... And George, I think is his name? George. What is it? Let me... Yeah, I have George. notes. Another um, George. Everyone's George. Every, yeah. But uh, I feel sort of... I mean, well, yeah. I hated his character. Did you hate his character? Yeah. Oh, yeah. I mean, it, also it felt like the, the thing of like... Yeah, his character is a soldier, but is also Patton's personal assistant, essentially. Yes. Personal, like, he dresses him and is, like, there for him always. Mm-hmm. And that's his entire function. Um, and then aside from him, there is so few background, even people of color, in the film. Right. It's uh, There are two moments of set dressing. There's basically, they are set dressing. A, he's in Morocco, right. and he's watching uh, a march of... Uh, Moroccan men in uniform it's they're not glorified as soldiers they're sort of glorified for the glamorous way right. that they and the show that they're putting on for the right. for the other people who are watching and it's at a point where you haven't sort of learned Patton's disdain for that kind of thing mm-hmm. but it's still you get a feel he says that it's uh, he says that Morocco is a combination of the Bible and Hollywood yes um, and then in terms of the, to- the Tunisians, mm-hmm. we see them either as a, as a way of showing the, the danger of them getting blown up, mm-hmm. and then also they're like pillaging the dead American bodies. Mm-hmm. And I, I'm like, this is done as a way of showing them as bad people as opposed to being like, these people are in a war-torn country. Mm-hmm. Carl, Carl Malden does say, and I was very thankful mm-hmm. that it was the first line of that scene of reflecting that like these are civilians yeah. that are being their homes are being destroyed, their access to things like water are being destroyed and clothes are being destroyed. And it's it's easy for us to look on them when we are not in that situation. Um, but we don't hear from any of them. Mm-mm. Yeah. And then there is Gomez. There's one um, yes, wounded soldier. Um, but again, that's, there's, there are two soldiers who speak, who are people right. of color. And then even in terms of non-speaking roles, I feel like I did not see a single soldier, like another American. Maybe maybe there was like one in the background, but like I feel like yeah, when he's making his apology, the the panning through of the entire company that he has to apologize to, they do not. uh, They're they're all 
white. The uh, like the premier or prime minister or head of Morocco mm-hmm. is also played by yeah. I was a trying to find his, and I found yeah. his name, but um, there were yeah. I'm sure he, it was Martin. He had like a slight. He had a French sounding last name. Um, but I don't remember his full name. But Which would be... So, find re- regarding that, I mean, again, we need commentary. Mm-hmm. Because mm-hmm. that, you know, in terms of colonizers... Right, of course. France was the colonizer of Morocco. But there's no commentary yeah. on that. because, And also, you know, in the same way that... The way that there was not really commentary on... Uh, in Vietnam about the fact that France was the colonizer of mm. Vietnam and a lot of our early aid was in propping up support for that regime. Mm. Um, yeah. Yeah. Um, and then there were a surprising, I would say there were a surprising number of women for a war movie. Would you? In background. There were a decent number of like theme of nurses. Uh, I didn't know that the group were nurses, but do you remember? I mean, obviously, in the infirmary, there were nurses. Right. Um, but In the company? Well, they would have been... They could have been secretaries. Yeah, or nurses, uh, which is... Or... Not to say... I, I, I don't want to sound like I'm claiming they were in quality roles. <laughs> I just... I'm saying that, you know... Yeah, saying, there were some women there. Yeah, right. in other war movies, you know, Black Hawk Down didn't have any women in it. No. Um, and my grandma was a was among the first women to f- uh, be a Marine during World War Two. So I'm anyway well, just super interested in that's dope. I wish that there were more of them. My uh, my grandfather fought it was in Korea. Mm. Um, that's kind of the extent that my family has to do with the military. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Yeah. Which it certainly shapes the way that I, I view the military, but when it comes to people dying, I'm, I'm fine with that. Um, and I'm, I'm fine with having a negative attitude ah, towards uh, war and broad-scale violence and death. I think that's yeah. just fine. Um, and so all of that stuff being said, do we should we see if our opinions have changed regarding the o- these movies? Do you have another thing to say? The only thing that I also say is, like, it is, I think, uh, foundational for modern conservatism that you can be a violent war hawk and also somehow a religious man. Mm. And I think that the film does a lot to claim that that is valid and that that is the ideal American. Mm -hmm. The ideal American prays on his knees and then goes into battle and wipes the floor with everybody. And I, those ideas, they're fundamentally incompatible. They are, right. And the, like, um, the chaplain kind of alludes to it a little bit when he he's asked to do that weather prayer. Right. He's like, so that you will though then go out and be able to kill fellow men. Right. He's like, I don't know how God's going to think of this. But then but the weather we're does taught, clear up. <laughs> yeah, the weather clears up and we are taught yeah. that God actually does love Patton. Yeah, so, God loves Patton. Yeah, and that's the other thing. Like, uh, with regard to what the detractors say, who cares? God is on his side. Like, yeah. uh, he's got God in the windmills. Fuck. <laughs> God in the windmills. Okay, well, let's see uh, if we still think the way we thought at the beginning. Okay. Should we go through... Can we go through the movies one by one? one? I'm sure. Start with Love Story since we started. Well, let's start with Love Story. Okay. One. We'll do the same thing. How are we going to do... What do you want to do with it? Okay, sure. We'll do the same thing. Okay. Three, two, two, one. Your thing. Oh, thanks. Yeah. I was going to say, I want to remake it. Cool. Yeah, because I I thought that there was just so much of her process that was entirely left out. Mm -hmm. Um, And... 
I just, I really wanted to see it. We, I, mm-hmm. I'm seeing it right now. Like, we didn't even see her die. I know. I thought that that was oh so God. heinous. We didn't see her die. We didn't see him with her dead body. No. Like, it's all about the way he is emotionally processing yeah. loss. And I thought that, like, one of my notes on the team is that, um, one of my notes was, like, when everyone is male, this becomes inherently about male of loss. Of course, exactly. Nobody on that team was female. Also, can I just say, it's not going to be until 1986 that we'll have a Best Picture winner that was directed by a woman. And that's not even counting like whether the woman was nominated or whatever. Right. That's so many more years. That is... But anyways. A lot of time, yes. Um, but yeah, I think that having it remade, we could get so much more nuance. Um, also, we wouldn't have the scene where he like kisses her and she's like I didn't say you could kiss me and he's like well I got carried away and And I was like no you didn't oh yeah also yeah yeah, no you didn't yeah (laughs) and then yeah because if you watch it it's either bad acting or just not carried away it wasn't like they were enraptured and then there was a surprise kiss it was just he it's almost like he kissed her out of spite um yeah and he also probably wouldn't call her in the first scene a uh, he wouldn't say, listen, you conceited Radcliffe bitch, in the first, I said it. I and she certainly wouldn't have smiled sort of, afterwards. Exactly. He wouldn't, it wouldn't have been a sort of flirty insult. So. Right. Okay, great. So we'll remake that. Um, yeah. And then Patton. Let's Patton. Go Patton. Ready? Uh, one, one, two, two three. Kill it. Get rid of it. <laughs> Fuck it. Kill it. Uh, yeah, I, I, we have plenty of war movies. We do. Uh, and they are way more critical and... There is actually they're there's, shorter. They're shorter. Sometimes. They're shorter not sometimes. All, all um, but also there is. I was reading this commentary about how like because of our attitude towards like guns that and and, and violence mm-hmm. that like it's impossible to make an anti-war movie because no matter what you sort of end up making war look cool mm-hmm. even when you make it really gritty. Mm-hmm. So we don't need something shot in a way that is pro-violence because we can't really escape the fact that we like to watch violence. Mm. Um, so, fuck it. Kill the movie. Yeah, um, I'm just processing that still. But yes, kill the movie is the point of it. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, maybe we'll, 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 we'll think sure about we'll that more. I'm sure we'll get to, and I'm, I'm sure more yeah. war movies will be on this list. Yeah, Platoon's on here somewhere. Is it? Yes. Uh, I've never seen that one. I don't think I've seen it all the way through. Hmm. Well, yeah. we will eventually. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, we're not going to keep it. We're not going to keep it. We're going to remake Love Story. We are going to remake Love Story. Thank you so much for listening. Yeah, thanks. I'm Stephen Moskis. I'm Gina Stevenson. And this has been Should We Keep This? We're a Rock Rising podcast, mm-hmm. which you can find on Facebook and Instagram at Rock Rising. Rock Rising Productions. Producer Julie. Rock Rising Productions. It's Rock Rising Productions, and you can find mm-hmm. them at rockrising.org. They have... and. Also, check out their other podcast, Spoiler. Yes. It's amazing. And you can find Steve Gina. I, I, I am on it. I'm not going to do it on a horn. No, the Amelie episode is better. Episode. Uh, but if you want to find me and listen to more of me talking, you can do that. Um, but you can also do that at, at Steve Moskis on Twitter, at Steve Moskis on Instagram, at Steve Moskis on the Tumblr. My, you're so consistent. You're so present. Whoa. You're so present. Gina, where do they find you? Um, just don't. You won't. Bye. Right. <laughs> <laughs> but next time, uh, we're moving to 1971. And...
Finish it. Okay. Finish it. It looks like you, I missed No, it. I know what we're doing, but um, you have to finish it because you started it. Well, yeah. And the top grossing film is going to be Fiddler on the Roof. Mm-hmm. I'm super excited. I watched that movie a lot in my childhood, so I'm excited to revisit it. And the best picture winner is The French Connection, Ooh. which I've never seen. Neither have I. Cool. And I I just have only seen the name because it comes on stars every once in a while. Oh. Finally got to watch it. It makes me think of the clothes, the clothes FC, the French Connection UK. Which always looked like the FCUK, the clothing label. Well, we'll have well, to find out if that's on the chopping block. Yeah, maybe. Yeah. Maybe that's where it comes, comes from. Don't know sure. Okay, it was just a mistake. Love never having to say you're sorry. You put your hand in a puddle of goo that used to be your best friend's face. Gross. That was so gross when he did that. Bye. Bye. Uh, a long time. That was a long time. This has been a Rock Rising Productions podcast. Thanks for listening. <laughs>